Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is week. Two of our Reading the Bible Together Advent series here at Faith Radio. You can still join us at MyFaithRadio.com. The week two word is peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Peace. You need a little peace this time of year? You need the peace of Christ that passes all understanding? Trust me when I tell you. People need the peace of Christ much more than they need another piece of our mind. So let's apply the mind of Christ today to the headline news, and let's walk our faith out into the world that God so loves in ways that honor Jesus. You with me? Thank you so much for including me in your day. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the right time came... God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. When the right time came. What's the right time? When's the right time? What's just the right time? What does it mean for God to accomplish something in the fullness of time or in his time? When the right time came, God. When the right time came, God. That's how this verse begins. When the right time came, God created all that is. In the beginning, God. And when the right time comes and God chooses to bring an end to all things, guess what? God. And right now, God. Advent is this time during which we look back at the time when God determined it was exactly the right time to send his son, and it's also the time that we look forward to his coming again. When the right time comes again, God will send his son. It occurs to me that God's son, Jesus the Christ, now sends us, because this is our time. God Deigned that at this appointed time in history, you and I would be alive and we would live uh, in this time and place to do what? To bear his light to the world. So let's uh, let's be about that today. A couple of uh, headlines from across the country today as we move into this uh, this week in North Carolina, more than 30,000 customers remain without power this morning after two substations were damaged by intentional targeted gunfire over the weekend. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's a that's a terroristic act to um, shoot up power substations. So it prompted a curfew and emergency declarations um, in some places in North Carolina. Um, so there you go. That's uh, what's going on. The FBI is involved in praying for the lights to come back on in those parts of North Carolina. In Hawaii, lava from the ongoing 
uh, Mauna Loa Volcano uh, is about two miles from reaching a crucial highway on Hawaii's Big Island. Now, the problem is that tourists, being like they are, are actually flocking toward the area instead of away from it. So we want to um, be praying for wisdom today uh, for folks on the big island of Hawaii. We want to be uh, praying that God would protect them, even from themselves. The last time that the volcano erupted was in, uh, well, in, in 1983 or four. But the time that they're looking at in terms of the big eruption um, came in, uh, in 1843. Yeah, anyway. Kind of crazy. All right. And then one headline here out of the Twin Cities that I want to take note of as we move into our conversation with Cindy Bunch about homelessness and her family's experience of it. The number of people that are living in homeless um, encampments in and around the Twin Cities has grown actually dramatically just in the last few months. Um, And so there are folks who are lifting this up. There are art installations um, in, in, in the metro uh minneapolis that you will probably see if you're uh if you're driving around um homelessness is a challenge in cities across the country and in rural areas as well why is it the num- that the number of people living um on the streets has grown um are you taking note of it where you live what's happening how are those challenges being addressed um so Cindy Bunch is going to join us um this is a recorded conversation And um, she's going to share her story, the story of her family. It's being featured in a movie called 5,000 Blankets. What would you do if your husband, or in this case, your dad, um, was on the street because of a mental health issue? Would you go and look for him? Would you worry about him? Would you want him to be warm? How about all of those other people who you met while you were looking for him? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Five thousand blankets. Five thousand blankets. How many blankets would it take to cover each person in your town or community or city who is homeless? How many people are currently living outside in the community where you live? Five thousand blankets movie is what we're talking about. Five thousand blankets movie.com is where you can find it. Cindy Bunch is joining us today to talk about it. Cindy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen, for having me. I'm super, super excited and can't wait to tell our story. All right. Well, let's actually, let's just start right there. Um, The 5,000 Blankets movie is your story, your family's story. So so tell us your story. Um, Basically, um, my husband was pretty, pretty normal for the most part. I mean, I mean, as normal as any husband is. Completely, yeah. You know how they they are. They're they're sloppy, but other than that, I mean, everything was normal. And then he started showing signs, so we took him to the doctor and they put him on medications. And people that suffer from what my husband has don't like taking medications because it it makes them feel weird. It doesn't make them feel normal, mm-hmm. if that any sense at all. 
And a lot yeah. of families suffer through this, not only with husbands, but with daughters and sons. And it, I think it hits all areas and all families. There's somebody in their family that's either struggling with some kind of mental issue are struggling with some kind of addiction issue. And in my heart, and this is only what I believe, I believe that alcoholism and drug addiction is a disease that is well overlooked. So a lot of, uh, I'm not saying my husband was addicted to alcohol or drugs, but I just want to point out that when people see these people on the streets and say, oh, he's just a bum, or he's an alcoholic, or he's just going to buy alcohol and drugs. What most people don't understand is when people are addicted to a certain drug, say opiates, for example, or alcohol, for example, if they don't get treatment, they need that drug or the alcohol to keep them alive. Otherwise, their body will go into shock. Yeah, they've literally become physically dependent on right. um, so, on an outside subject. Yeah. So so Cindy, your your husband, Bobby, experienced a breakdown and then he went missing. And that is um really I think what provokes you and then your son Philip to um engage with the reality of unhoused people where you lived. So talk with us a little bit about just that initial experience of realizing that your husband was missing and, you know, to, to look for him and where you found him and how that felt. When Philip was five and a half is when it got really severe. When he would often disappear, I mean, sometimes for days, sometimes for weeks. He was working downtown at the time. He was working construction and um, he was extremely intelligent. And most schizophrenic people are extremely intelligent. And he would disappear and we would drive around looking for him in downtown. Well, there's an area of downtown that is, they call it the homeless district. Philip and I would drive through the homeless district. And I just got to know these people mm-hmm. that lived. I would get out and talk to them and Philip would engage with them too. And they're people just like you and mm-hmm. I are. They all have families. I mean, some are doctors, some are lawyers. I mean, the, the list goes on. And they're just, they're in a bad spot. Some people have lost their spouses and couldn't handle it or lost their whole families. I mean, there's just so many different stories I could go into. I've been doing this for 18 years. So mm-hmm. um, I know a lot of, and a lot of these people are, really, really good friends of mine that they'll call me up and they're having a, a hard time. Hey, Cindy, we need sleeping bags. Our blankets are wet. It's just, yeah. So Philip was introduced to a world that kind of, I just kind of, it was crazy because he, yeah. he was the one that actually started my feet moving. So we're going to talk about Philip and we're going to talk about Philip's wish which is the name of the foundation that grows out of this. You're going to be able to find that at philipswish.com. We're going to talk about 5,000 Blankets and what that has to do with this story. The movie is 5,000 Blankets Movie. You can find it at 5,000blanketsmovie.com. 
We're going to continue our conversation with Cindy Bunch in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Hey, did you hear the news recently? There are now 8 billion people in the world. My name's Carmen LeBurge. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Here at Faith Radio, we are telling the whole world about Jesus and helping believers live out their faith every day. If you'd like to help us do that, you're still needed. Your financial support changes lives. You can make a difference with your gift right now at MyFaithRadio.com. Help us reach the world for Jesus Christ. Give this Christmas away. If there's love in your heart, don't let it stay there. Continuing our conversation with Cindy Bunch. It is her family's story that is the subject uh, behind the 5,000 Blankets movie. You can find it at 5,000blanketsmovie.com. Cindy, tell us about uh, Philip's wish. Like that actually uh, ignited what is now the foundation, Philip's wish. But what what was initially Philip's wish? Well, I was after a long day of searching for um, his father, my husband, I was tucking um, Philip in the bed. It was about, about, actually, he was in kindergarten, fixing to go to first grade. And it was the very first of December. And it was starting to get really cold outside. And uh, we had gotten home pretty late that evening. It was probably around eight-ish, eight o'clock. And I was tucking him into bed. And he looked at me and he said, Mommy, are you warm? And I said, Yeah, baby, I'm warm. He goes, Do you think my daddy's warm? And I tried to reassure him that he was. And then he asked me the this question that just blew my mind. He says, Well, Mommy, what about all those other people? All those other people that, that you talk to, are they warm? And I told them the truth. No, baby, they're not warm. And so he said to me, well, Mommy, we need to get lots and lots of blankets so we can warm them all up. Well, the next morning, he comes in with his piggy bank. He said, Mommy, let's go buy blankets. Let's go buy blankets. And I was kind of like, okay, there's probably about $7 in that piggy bank. So I just kind of shrugged it off, you know, but he wouldn't stop. This child just kept on and on and on. So I just, I guess the spirit took over Mm -hmm. and literally, I'm not kidding you. And I went on a full fledged, I mean, I was going to get these 5,000 blankets no matter what. So I, I typed out a, a letter and it told our story. And I literally stood on the on the streets of downtown Fort Worth with this letter in my hand. Every single person that passed by. And like I said, I'm a very shy person. I would put it in their hands and I would say, take this, take this, take this, take this, take this. I mean, I must have given out anywhere from 500 to 1,000 of these sheets of paper that told our story. And I remember getting my first phone call. And it was from a girl named Jennifer McAllister. Hmm. She actually does my website to, to this day. And that was my first phone call. And I remember I cried and cried and cried. And um, that's when we, we got our first our first collection of blankets started coming in. Because um, she said she wanted to be a part of it. And the whole time we were going through this transition of not having a place of our own and having to move in with my mom. And I just lost where I was going with this. Uh, oh, I was <laughs> working two jobs 
and I was doing, I was taking real estate school online because I thought, Hey, if I, you know, I can sell houses and make lots of money. So, so I thought, and I didn't really want to sell houses. I just didn't, it wasn't in my heart. So I Mm -hmm. met up, I went ahead and passed the test and I met up with a broker and the broker's name was Mike Bowman. And uh, we were chatting and talking and they kind of interviewed. And I said, you know, Mike, to be perfectly honest with you, I really, really don't want to be a realtor. This is what I do. And this is what I love. And it's my Mm -hmm. passion and my purpose. And it was I told him about Phillips Wish. And after that, he started contacting businesses, churches, you name it. He went He's done more. He was our first big sponsor. I know. I love that. He has been our sponsor since day one. And he has brought on all these different other sponsors. I mean, I can can mention. (laughs) Now they can, people can see those at the, yeah, people can see those at the uh, philipswish.com website. Um, And I, and I, and I want people to do that. Talk with us, Cindy, about the challenges that, you know, people uh, who are living on the street, people who are homeless, like because you know so many and you know them well and and you love them. Um, what are some of the most, you know, like the primary needs that they have? Because each and every one of us encounters people who are homeless every single day. Um, I mean, I, I met Betsy yesterday on a corner near where I live. Um, and I mean, I know, you know, that Betsy needs money, but what what else does Betsy need? Like what what are the and, and should I just ask her? Should I just say, Betsy, what do you need? Like, should Betsy I ask her? Like, why why are you here? Like, what is the what are the yeah. questions that get beyond? How can I help her in whatever way she wants to be helped? You know what these people really need is human contact. Hmm. Human contact. You need to build a bond with these people. And the only way you build a bond is to listen and not enough people even take the opportunity to see much less listen. Mm. So if you sit and listen, you will find out without her even telling you what her needs are. It's it's crazy how that works because you can look, you can talk to her, you can say, Oh, wow. You know, she needs socks. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. she mm. needs she needs toilet paper because these people have nowhere to go to the bathrooms. Yeah, we've we've talked. Um, we've I'm I'm thinking about the conversations that we've had um, about that in terms of ministries that provide all kinds of uh, very first line resources to people who are living unhoused and um, and the challenges that uh, that are faced in different parts of the country. Um, you know, related to this topic. So, Cindy, that's so helpful. I think that, you know, when we think about initiating a conversation, so I'm now thinking about a specific individual. I know where she is, or at least I knew where she was yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. I could go back there today. What am I going to do? Am I going to park my car? I mean, describe describe to me what you, what what I should do. I should park my car. I should walk out to the median where she is and mm-hmm. seek to talk with her there. Or I should invite her. Okay, you can invite her to. I've had people come stay at my house. I've several. Well, that's times. six. That's sixteen miles from the intersection. So, see, like I think when you when you're talking about people who live in urban environments, those of us who live in more rural environments, 
Um, right. So there's there's sort of some practical challenges related to some of this. But just talk with us about those initial conversations, because I think getting over that initial hurdle is probably what's preventing most people from doing what you're saying, which is providing the real human contact that is the primary need for people who are um, living unhoused. What did Jesus say? He, he preached love is what Jesus did. You love on these people. You love on them, literally love on them. You know, they, they need human contact more than they need anything. Of course, mm-hmm. they need the basic extent. Uh, oh, I can't even say the word. Essentials, um, warm clothes. Uh, they need warm clothes. They need socks. They need hygiene. They need mm-hmm. nourishment. They need. There's so many things they need, but more than anything, I think. I don't just think. I know that human contact is the biggest part of what they really need. It makes them feel, it it humanizes them. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, and that costs nothing. That costs nothing. So if the, if the number one thing that people need is human contact and you're a human being, then you can provide today what those living in your community and who are unhoused, those who are homeless, you can provide, um, you know, for that primary need. Thank you so much, uh, Cindy, for telling us your story. You guys can check out more of the story at 5000blanketsmovie.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Well, I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. So glad you've included us in your day. Thank you so very much. Over the weekend, Twitter released a string of, well, Elon Musk released a string of emails between Twitter employees and members of um, the Biden campaign and those seeking to advance his candidacy prior to um the 2020 election. So following the release of those internal Twitter emails showing this frequent communication between Democratic political operatives working for the Biden campaign and employees of Twitter to specifically suppress posts that they viewed as damaging to their candidate, former President Donald Trump called for the election results to be thrown out, the Constitution to be ignored, and that he be declared the rightful winner. So this all transpired on Saturday. He posted on his Truth Social account, a massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. So that comment, as you can imagine, has drawn universally negative responses, including um, from the White House. White House spokesman Andrew Bates said on Saturday that the former president's remarks are, quote, anathema to the soul of our nation and should be universally condemned. Um, You cannot only love America when you win, he went on to say. Um, Maybe not surprisingly, incoming House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries said that former President Trump's remarks were extreme, adding that Republicans will have to make a choice whether to continue to embrace the former president's, um, what he described as anti-democratic views, 
On and on and on. Um, So what did Republicans have to say? Well, Mike Turner of Ohio is the top Republican on the House Intelligence Committee. And uh, and he said uh, he vehemently disagrees with the former president on this point, absolutely condemns the comments um, that President Trump made on Truth Social. And he also said that these comments and the spirit behind them should be considered um, as the GOP considers, uh, you know, how its party is going to move into the future. He talks about political process and on and on and on. So here's the real question for you and I this morning. How, as Christians, do we process all of this? Because the truth does matter to us. Um, Righteousness does matter to us. Order does matter to us. Um, So let's talk with uh, Daniel Bennett next about all of this and so much more, including including a case that the Supreme Court is going to hear today about, well, that depends who you ask what it's about. Is it about religious freedom? Is it about uh, the First Amendment in terms of speech? Or is it about actually deciding what is art? And is art speech? And is that religious freedom? All of that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Daniel Bennett is joining us now. Um, We are going to talk about the way Christians can engage in what's happening in the culture today. Daniel, welcome back. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Hey, good morning. So a lot of folks um, concerned about, stressed about, confused about the comments of the former president in relationship to, you know, revelations um, of how Twitter uh, may have suppressed, in fact, certainly did suppress, um, a particular story in the lead up to the 2020 election. Now, just because one social media platform suppresses one story, um, I think that's maybe part of this conversation, like how influential really is that? But the bigger question is, like, what are the considerations for Christians on this particular conversation today? Because there's a lot of heat coming from both sides of the political aisle in relationship to this story. Yeah, I think we have to keep a couple of things in mind. So, you know, first and foremost, it is discouraging and, and problematic when you have an influential social media company. Uh, being pretty heavily uh, active in suppressing information and stories and framing on behalf of a major political candidate or political party. Like, that, that is uh, something we have to reckon with. On the other hand, uh, I mean, there's a lot of other ways we can go with this. So if we look at the number of people who actually use Twitter on a regular basis, it's a pretty small percentage of the American public. Uh, and the, those who actually use Twitter actively it's even smaller um and to me it's similar to how there were criticisms and calls uh, for investigations and whatnot from democrats and those on the left in the aftermath of 2016 election for the for russian election interference Mm -hmm. did russian propaganda show up in social media yeah Uh, did it actually alter votes no uh, ultimately, that was, you know, the people's choice how to vote in response to the information. So to me, it's similar. It's a little bit different because it's a foreign entity versus a private company here in the States, but it's a similar dynamic. I think the larger concern for Christians especially is to think about what we value the most. Um, 
you know, we can be faithful and, and really be discouraged that our candidate didn't win in 2016 or 2020. Uh, but the response shouldn't be, I don't think, for Christians, especially in this context, to what President Trump said uh, or called for to essentially suspend rules and even the Constitution. Um, there are calls for revolution. There are legitimate reasons for revolution as Christians that we can support. A social media companies uh, emailing back and forth with political elites to uh, slant or otherwise suppress a news story is not a just cause for revolution. And I think that's something Christians have to be very, very careful about falling into. What do we value the most in our political system? Well, and that's a good question. I mean, I value um, equal participation by every citizen. Um, I value your vote being counted and every vote being counted. I mean, I, I value fairness. I certainly value truth. I think truth is really hard to pin down um, in in the current in the current way information is presented, even in relationship to this story. Like yeah. there there is there is something the former president said. He did not say that the Constitution should be suspended or overthrown or whatever. I mean, which some headlines actually suggest and say. So I think that part of this for me is get as close to the source of the information as you can. Do not rely on, um, you know, on the first headline you you read or the first thing you hear about a story. And and maybe that is, uh, you know, that's applicable to the way we respond to stories that are expressly Christian as well. Like, go to the source material. What does the Bible actually say? You know, did God actually say, right? And then go find out what God actually said. Like, there's a little bit of basic discipleship in all of this. The truth does matter. Um, and I think for Christians, the truth matters on all on all fronts of this story. Yeah, Carmen, you've written a really good book about this, not to— uh not to praise you, you know, and, and try to kiss up a little bit, but you wrote a really good book about this, uh, um, and I'm sure your listeners are familiar with it. Another one that I'll pitch is more recent, and I'm sure you've talked to them about it, is Dan Darling's book, Away With Words, mm-hmm. um, essentially how we engage with one another, especially in the context of social media. It is important to go beyond those immediate knee-jerk headlines and to just take the extra five minutes to really figure out not only what the truth is or what the truth seems to be, but then how to respond to that in a Christianly way. Um, and by Christianly, I don't simply mean just, you know, surface level niceness or, you know, trying to be, and these are good virtues, right? Kindness, for example, um, but being wise and discerning and uh, loving ultimately at the end of the day. So, yeah, no, I think that's right. I think these stories with a lot of immediate headlines are important to parse and we can take the extra couple of minutes to do our homework. We're talking with Daniel Bennett. We're talking about um, bringing our faith to bear on the headline news of the day. So let's pivot to um, a case that the Supreme Court is going to hear today, 303 Creative versus, and I may or may not pronounce this correctly, Alinas. Um, What is this case about? Is it about religious liberty? Is it about speech and the definition of speech? Or is it about art? Like, what what is this about? (laughs) Well, it's about anything you want it to be. It's kind of a Rorschach test in that sense. But The main facts of the case are really similar to another case coming out of the same state, Colorado, back in 2018, this Masterpiece Cake Shop case. So in this case, 303 Creative uh, involves a web designer, creates web pages uh, for private clients. Uh, She was approached uh, to create a wedding website, which, you know, certainly wouldn't be out of the 
out of the uh, mainstream for her business model. In this case, though, the, the couple that wanted her to uh, create the website was a same-sex couple uh, who were going to be getting married. And like Jack Phillips in Masterpiece, she said, I can't lend my creative services to something which violates my religious convictions. In this case, it, it is same-sex marriage. She has said, look, if you wanted me to design a web page for your business, if you, know, if you sell, you know, uh, if, if you sell anything, you know, I'll, I'll make you a web page, right? But if it's celebrating something that runs afoul of my religious convictions, that's not something that I, should, that, that I really want to participate in. Well, Colorado's anti-discrimi- anti-discrimination law uh, came down on her and said that she was discriminating uh, against a particular client in the public space. And so we have really similar facts, but it's a little bit different. And this case should actually reach a more firm conclusion on this balance between religious liberty, speech, art, and then on the other side, LGBT uh, anti-discrimination. Uh, this case should reach more firm conclusion than the Masterpiece Cake Shop case did, um, which was, the, which was uh, I guess, decided on a more technical, uh, narrow ground. So what should we or what might we expect to hear today in terms of arguments from both sides? Any sense of that? So just, yeah, Justice Thomas. Oh, from both sides. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the attorneys arguing for the web designer Alliance Defending Freedom, the Christian legal group based out of Arizona, they've argued a number of cases over the years uh, at the Supreme Court. And Kristen Wagner uh, will be arguing this case for them. She's going Who to we like very that. much. Yes, I know. I think if you've, you've spoken to her. So, yeah, yeah, this is, uh, you have you, she, she's at the Supreme Court today. That's wonderful. That's so cool, um, right? Yeah, that's very cool. And so she's going to be arguing uh, that certainly this violates some religious components, but really they're leaning into this idea of what's called compelled speech. This notion that the government can force a person to uh, make or endorse a message with which she or he happens to disagree. And the argument is just like you wouldn't expect a uh, someone who is ideologically progressive to have to make a pro-Trump website or someone who happens to be pro-choice, you wouldn't expect them to have to make a website for a pro-life person. And the list goes on and on and on. Those types of speech issues should be left up, uh, you know, to the person in the marketplace. Um, And there's going to be arguments about why this is very different from, say, Jim Crow era discrimination. in, in the context of uh, sexuality, uh, Tish Harrison Warren has a really good op-ed in the New York Times uh, just yesterday uh, explaining why objections to service and, uh, and messaging on sexuality and gender is different than race. Um, not to say that one is more important than the other, but the, the former uh, has more biblical grounding than specious arguments made to justify racial discrimination in the 1950s and 60s. Um, so there's a lot going on from ADF side. Colorado's argument is going to be more simple, that this is a straightforward discrimination case where you had a, uh, a client contact a vendor, the vendor turned them down because of their identity. That is, by definition, discrimination. Um, so those, those are the arguments. I would expect the Supreme Court to eventually rule favorably for the web designer, given the composition of the court and the way in which it has uh, shifted since Masterpiece in a more conservative direction. But uh, we'll probably have to wait until June to know for sure. All right. We're going to continue our conversation with Daniel Bennett in just a moment. I'm going to ask him how an arcane law helped us avert a railroad worker strike um, just before the holidays. You have probably heard about this headline that the federal government is basically forcing 
um, a contract upon rail workers. And if you thought that that couldn't happen because the railroad seems like a private industry, yeah, that's when you got to go back to your monopoly game and look at those things that are in the middle of each of those um, uh, sides and say to yourself, what makes a utility different than just a piece of property or commercial real estate? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Daniel Bennett. Um, Daniel, um, first of all, let's just talk for a moment um, about laws. And once they're on the books, they stay on the books until and unless someone changes them, right? So let's just remind people of like how that happens. Because there's this arcane law that actually helped us avert a railroad worker strike um, going into the holidays. Yeah, so it's kind of funny. When we've been around as a country, as long as we have, there are laws on our books that the average person would look at, or even, I don't know, the legislator might look at and say, why is that there? Or why was it written in this particular way? And that's exactly what happened in this context. So in the early part or in the early days of the rail industry and rail travel, um, things looked a lot different uh, for railroads and their workers. It certainly wasn't as, uh, as uh, I guess, profitable or as widespread as it is today. Um, but laws on the books effectively gave Congress the ability to a certain degree of regulation over the railroad industry. And that in itself isn't particularly surprising. I mean, if your listeners have been paying attention to American government, there's a lot that government regulates these days. Um, but this regulation actually goes so far as to consider railroads rail, uh, and their workers as so essential to American commerce and trade that Congress can, in certain instances, effectively force them uh, to uh, to accept terms of contracts. Uh, and it's an unusual law. It has, it, it's not like some, something Congress exercises on a yearly basis. Um, but it's almost akin, and I'm not saying this is exactly like this, but it's almost like Congress has effectively nationalized the rail industry and saying, mm-hmm. you're going to work for us on our terms because it, you are such a vital component to our uh, to our trade and maybe even security, depending on what's being shipped on the railroads. And you can imagine this happening with the FAA or TSA or anything involving air travel as well. You could see Congress making this type of same decision to say, look, you're too essential to, to go off for a couple of weeks on strike. We're going to basically force you back uh, into the workplace. And so it is unusual. It angered a lot of progressive groups and pro-labor groups that the Biden administration would be the one to 
to really enforce this. But uh, yeah, some laws are uh, some laws are a little strange when you look back on them. Uh, in Wisconsin, um, margarine, like there's there's laws restricting um, how big a package of margarine can be and what the font size on the packaging must be because you know, oh yeah, real butter. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm just saying. Uh, like, Shoshana, right, <laughs> yeah, the, the the R Street Institute, Shoshana Weissman has a lot of good stories about. Uh, about regulation in really strange places and licensing requirements for certain activities uh, that don't really make a lot of sense. Uh, so, you know, your, your listeners, they're very smart and, and up to up to date on, on the happenings of the day. I imagine most of them don't know just how deep regulation in this country goes. <laughs> yeah. Like in North Carolina, a bingo session can't last more than five hours. I'm just saying like we regulate all kinds of it. things. So, so. Yeah. I love it. So thank you. Um, thank you for that. All right. So um, President Biden is pushing to have South Carolina be the kickoff state. We have a lot of listeners in Iowa and a lot of listeners mm-hmm. in New Hampshire. And they're saying, wait, what? We're first. Hey, hey, we're first. What what's going on with this? Yeah, it's been a long time since we've had a major change to the Democratic Party's uh, nominations calendar for the primaries and caucuses. Um, my students always ask, you know, why is Iowa first? And I always pivot to the song from Fiddler on the Roof tradition, right? I mean, that's just the way it's been for for, for decades now. But what the Biden uh, campaign and, and, and the Democratic uh, campaign committee is looking at is trying to make that first primary, the symbolic uh, first uh, voice in nominating a Democratic president, they're trying to make it look more like what the Democratic Party today looks like. And that's going to be more racial minority voters, um, m- more young people. Uh, and so South Carolina fits the bill more than, say, Iowa or New Hampshire does. And there's some implications to this, right? Um, one thing that I had read this weekend, I think this is exactly right. Uh, party activists, those who are really involved in the, the, the internal dynamics of party politics, they're going to have a louder voice in 2024 in, you know, being that first uh, state to pick the president or pick their presidential candidate. And, you know, maybe in in an election where you have maybe a more unorthodox Democratic candidate running who doesn't always appeal to the activists, but might appeal more broadly, uh, that candidate may not get the same level of support in a South Carolina as he would in, say, an Iowa or New Hampshire. And so one of the implications of this might be, Carmen, is that uh, the party actually will exercise greater control over who gets that first, you know, uh, push over, you know, across the finish line and uh, takes away the more disparate factions of the Democratic Party. Time will tell, but that's something to keep keep an eye out for. So the other thing that I think goes away um, with this or that they're pushing for um, the elimination of is just the whole caucus process. Um, And so can you just talk a little bit about that for those of us who don't live in states where there are (laughs) where things are decided by caucus? Like what what is that and how does it work? It's absolutely bizarre. So, uh, frankly, okay. now, now all so, the Iowa people are now going to text into the show and be like, uh, we are Iowans, not bizarre. Look, I, Our system I is love, perfect. Look, I love caucuses, but Iowans, look yourselves in the eye, look in the mirror and, and be like, yeah, this is a little strange. It's a little strange. 
So in a primary, right, you go to the polling place, you cast a ballot, that's the end of it. In a caucus, what you do is you go to a gathering place. It's often in a high school gymnasium or a community building or something like this. And it's not like you vote and it's done. You stay there for some time and effectively try to persuade one another to get people to literally come over to your side and support your candidate. So that there might be tape on the floor to delineate, this is the space for Joe Biden, this is the space for Kamala Harris, this is the space for Cory Booker. And after several, you know, maybe even several hours, depending on how many people are there and how intense the debate is, they'll do a final count and they'll report, you know, who wins that particular uh, caucus site. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of caucus sites across different states. And uh, that is how we determine the winner in caucus systems. Not surprisingly, uh, candidates who are really organized and have a really passionate ground game in politics do well in caucuses. Bernie Sanders, for example, did really well in caucuses because he had a passionate and organized group of uh, supporters. Um, but it's a very different process and simply, and by the way, this also discourages people who just want to vote and be done with it. They don't participate in caucuses, right? They don't have time for that. They don't care about it as much. But it, so it does reward people who are really engaged and passionate. And so Iowans, I know you're engaged and passionate. No shade to you. But it is definitely a strange system relative to dropping off a ballot and going on your merry way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it also... Sorry, Carmen. Um, you know, for all, yeah, no, sorry no, for frankly, alienating the, the Iowans. No. It definitely favors people like me who would go into a room and yeah. by the sheer um, – just because we like persuasive speech and we yeah. uh, and we have personalities that tend to be um, – well, we, we know how to rev people up and we know how to shut other people down. Like, right? I, I, like, right? There's a, there's a methodology to it. Like, it definitely – the caucus thing definitely would lean toward people like me, and I get yes. that. And that is disenfranchising to people who are – not like me, um, whose voices need to be heard in the process as well. So there you go. That'll, that'll be Carmen's confession. Hey, Daniel, thank you as always uh, for joining us. Um, if we don't talk with you again before Christmas, Merry Christmas. If we do, then we look forward to that. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. Fantastic. That's Daniel Bennett. Um, you you can find him lots of places. Maybe the easiest places to go is to his Uneasy Citizenship blog, which you can find on Substack, or just follow him on Twitter at Daniel R. Ben with two N's, B-E-N-N for Bennett. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. All right, hour one of Mornings with Carmen on this Monday morning, December the 5th. That's all we got. But we got another hour up next. We're going to talk with our friend, Dr. Linda Mental, And then we're going to ask the question, how far does a little go? Come to find out a little does go a long way. If you haven't visited us recently at MyFaithRadio.com, please do so. We got a ton of fun stuff going on in December. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.